Each week in this David series, we've been pulling out one verse, not necessarily out of that story, but out of somewhere uh, in the Bible that really speaks into the heart of what we're teaching on. This is a little unnerving, like the three rows in front of me have completely emptied. What did you say, Martin? Come on. (laughs) Are you not in resound then, Martin? No. (laughs) You tried, but yeah, age restriction. Yeah, it's important. Oh, great. We've got some takers on the first two rows. Anyone else? Anyone else want to join them on the first two rows? Ha, maybe not. There we go then. So we've got a memory verse that we're going to have a look at as we start out. It's this one here, Psalm 51 verse 10. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I think what would be great is if we say that together as a church. So after three, let's say it together. One, two, three. Create in me Pure heart, O oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51, verse 10. Fantastic. So, as we get into this, that, that verse there is going to come out. It's going to become really meaningful for us. And we are in this David series. I know that most of you will have travelled with us through this series. We've got to see David's life as he's grown up. He started out as a a shepherd boy just tending the sheep. And then he was anointed and he was called out for leadership. And then as as a teenager he stepped up and he faced Goliath. And songs were sung at the time. Songs were sung about Saul, who was the king. They said that he'd killed his thousands, but David, his tens of thousands. And the scene was set. The scene was set. Saul was jealous. His his rage was uncontrolled. And and David was thrown into a a time of despair. He became a fugitive on the run from, from Saul. And he lost to death during that time. His mentor, Samuel, who'd been overseeing him through his years as he was growing up. And he lost at that time to death his friend, Jonathan, who was his closest friend and confidant. But God was faithful to his cause. He was faithful to his people. And Saul was killed out on the battlefield and David became king. And he set about establishing the the kingdom on a scale that had never been seen before. And if only... If only that was it, that a long and celebrated reign followed, but it wasn't. We worship a a glorious God, but the story of his revelation through humanity is on occasion inglorious. The Bible is honest. That's one of the marks of authenticity. It is honest. It exposes. It doesn't cover up. And what comes next in in David's life is as exposed and inglorious as you can get. And I am getting us ready for that. Even as I was singing, as I was worshipping last week, and that was just incredible, having that time of worship when we were passionate, really passionate. I was there. And I was thinking, I know what's about to come. That happy day, that happy day, oh, happy day, was about to become David's saddest day. 
And out of a a soulful life that he was living came a soulless act, followed by other soulless acts. If last week was that mountaintop experience, we're now heading down into the valley of the shadow. And to do his life justice, we've got to journey with David through this. It covers two chapters in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 2 Samuel chapter 12. And I want us to, to look at it in two parts. Firstly, with the, the situation and the sin and the, and the cover-up that followed. And secondly, with the, the confrontation and the, and the consequences and the, the repentance. And what this story is about more than anything is sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. Two words that may, if you're new to church or, or new to Christianity, they may sound outdated, even irrelevant to living a Jesus-filled life. But these two words, sin and repentance, are right at the heart of our faith. They're right at the heart of God's revelation to us. They are right at the heart of this story. And I want to give, at the start, an explanation to the word sin. About five weeks ago, and this talk was already in my head, I I knew it was coming, I was thinking about it. And I was at home, and I was just relaxing, very ordinary, normal morning. And I was there with my son Jay, and we were playing together, and I got up and just walked out out of the lounge, all very normal. And then I sneezed. I sneezed and again, nothing unusual about a sneeze, but for whatever reasons, maybe it was just the the position of my body or how I was walking or maybe it was just the intensity of the sneezed. But as I sneezed, I experienced this immense spasm in my back and the pain there just brought me down to the ground on all fours. Some of you may have experienced a back spasm like that. There's not a lot you can do apart from to go with it and to get down on the floor. And my son Jay, he somehow misunderstood the situation and thought, great, it's a donkey ride. So, so he tries to climb on my back and we come to an agreement where he realises that is not the intended outcome. So then he starts to feel all sensitive about it and tries to make it all right and I'm still there in pain and I thought about that moment that sneeze and it brought me back to someone called Craig Grishel who's a a fantastic communicator church leader out in the states and he used this description of of sin and it's so simple and so graphic that I wanted to, to use it here so what he said was that sin is like a really big sneeze. It feels great when it happens, but then once it's over, there's mess everywhere. So sin, he got the same reaction. Sin is like a big sneeze. And as I was thinking that over and thinking, I'm going to use that somewhere, and this is where. And as that pain in my back started to ease, I took it a little further. And I thought, with our physical bodies, we react to pain. We want it to stop in the moment. But with sin, the pain often isn't physical. And maybe we don't react. It often isn't felt in the moment. It is emotional. It is relational. It goes deep into our souls. And the pain it causes is long-lasting. The Bible has a a lot to say about sin. In Romans 3 verse 23, it says that we've all sinned. 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So it doesn't matter if we're standing on stage or if we're at the back of church. We've all fallen short of God's best for our lives. And often in the Bible, the devil and sin, they become inseparable from each other. Because it is what the devil uses to to bring us down. In 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it tells us to be self-controlled and alert and pictures the devils like a, like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And that helps me. It helps me to understand, to understand sin and the devil. That sin may come from the inside. That the devil may come from the outside. On occasion, it, it seems like it's both. But the fact is, we are all vulnerable to sin. And it may feel great as it happens, but then once it's over... There is mess everywhere. Now, hold on to that thought and we're going to continue with David. To set this up, David was about 50 years old, maybe a few years older. He'd been on the throne now for about 20 years. His kingdom was established. His his reputation uh, amongst his people and amongst his enemies was both highly favoured and formidable. And in 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 it says, In the spring at the time when kings go off to war. And with that we're we're straight into it. The writer reveals where this is coming from and, and where it is going. At the time when kings go off to war. David, the king, shouldn't even have been there. It was the wrong place at the wrong time. And as you read on, David after 20 years on the throne, was now a king who was enjoying the excesses of his position. And his heart, his heart had moved from God and was now centering on himself. He had already broken an earlier law laid down by God back in Deuteronomy chapter 17 that the king must not take many wives or his heart would be led astray. David had taken more, a lot more, both wives and concubines. And concubines meaning women who gave intimate physical relations and children without the attachments of marriage. There's a song, a song written by Casting Crowns called Slow Fade. And that kept coming back into my mind as I was working on this and I was thinking this through. And the idea behind the song is that sin, sin although committed in a moment will have started to get a grip on your life long before. The lyrics of the song, they challenge us to be careful what we see, to be careful where we go, careful what we hear, careful what we say. The lyrics point out that the journey from our minds to our hands is shorter than we think. And the people, people, daddies, Families never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. And for David, it was a slow fade into darkness. So one evening, one evening, David got up from his bed and he walked on the, on the roof of the palace. And there he saw her. He saw a woman bathing. And the writer says that she was very beautiful. And David sent someone to to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? 
Then David sent a messenger to, to get her and she came to him and he slept with her. But David shouldn't have been there. He should have been at war. And David, the moment he saw her, he should have looked somewhere else. He didn't. And he sent someone to find out more. And David, he should have heard the words that were said. Bathsheba was the daughter of. She was the wife of. He didn't. He sent someone to get her and he slept with her. But he could have stopped it even though it got harder with each moment, with each move. The sin getting closer and closer until the final soulless sinful act. And I don't know about you, but I just want to say when I read that, I want to say why? Why go and ruin it all for one soulless sinful act? Why? But then the Bible isn't only a window through which we look into the lives of God's people. It isn't only a window where we look through into the life of David. The Bible is also a mirror. A mirror that reflects back on our lives. And although I haven't, you will be relieved to know, committed adultery, I do know, I do know that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And I know that I am vulnerable. So in asking why, I'm also asking what can I learn? What can I learn? Because no one should be so proud as to say it couldn't possibly happen to me. And I want us, I want us to keep this particular sin in front of us for two more minutes before moving on, not in a, a direct challenge from me, but in the words of wisdom that we get with Proverbs. There are two Proverbs, two Proverbs, so one minute for each of them. And I read these, I read these a long time ago, probably in my late teens, early 20s. And they've remained with me and they are like black and white in my life that cuts through any grey that I would want to live in. And the first is this, it comes in Proverbs 27 verse 20, it says, Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of a man. Death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of a man. I am speaking here as a man, man to man. Although I'm not sure if it doesn't also relate to women. My eyes, my human eyes, David eyes, men, your eyes. The Bible says that they are never satisfied. Almost as if they have an urge, they have a, a life of their own. That if you don't deliberately get control of it, can bring destruction to your life. So, look away. Look away. The second proverb is this. It comes in Proverbs 6 verse 27. It says, can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? There is fire in here. There is fire out there. There is desire and lust and passion and persuasion. These are all like fire and if we can see it for what it is then we will run from it we will deliberately turn from it even if it only we sense like a spark on our skin of that fire then we'll get out the way if we 
reach out, if we pull it towards us, and I'm not just talking physically here, but emotionally, relationally, in flirtatious conversation or playing with it in our minds, giving it time to get a hold, then we're going to get burned. And not only us, not only us personally, but our partners, our children, our relationships, our reputation, everything about us, all that we stand for will get burned by that fire. And one of the lies, one of the lies that is out there, out there in our society, in our our culture with the media, one of the lies is that if we satisfy wrong desires, then they will cease, they will get filled up, and that will be the end of it. But that is a lie. Satisfying wrong desires will only ever increase them and lure us further into that sin and darkness. And David David, coming back to the story, he got caught out in his sin in 2 Samuel 11 verse 5. Having slept with Bathsheba, she sent word to David to say, I am pregnant. And what follows is one soulless act after another as David tries to cover up his sin. Firstly, he sent word to to Joab, the head of his armies, to recall Uriah, who was Bathsheba's husband, to recall him back from from the battlefield where he was fighting for David and for Israel. He tries to get Uriah to sleep with his wife Bathsheba, but he refuses. Says he couldn't possibly go back to his house to eat and drink and lie with his wife while the ark and Israel and Judah are camped out on the battlefield. In fact, he went and slept in the entrance to the palace with all of David's servants. And what you get is this this contrast going on between David David, the king who has now become dark and manipulative, and Uriah, the soldier who is loyal and brave, which only goes to increase the shame and the guilt that is going deep into David's soul. The final solution comes in verse 17, where David has sent Uriah back to the the battlefield with the instructions to Joab to place him at the center of the, the fiercest fighting and then to withdraw, exposing Uriah certain death at the hands of the enemy. Shocking, really. Soulless, sinful. And the chapter finishes with these words, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. And displeased, displeased. It may not seem a a strong enough word here, but you can be sure when God is displeased, it was a fearful place for David to be in. And from the Psalms that he wrote that speak of this time, we know that he he suffered broken nights. He he suffered with illness and fever, haunted memories, physical wastage. And more than anything, he suffered with isolation from God. Fortunately, fortunately with the change in the chapter, there is a change in mood and direction. But it didn't happen overnight. The start of chapter 12 may have been as long as 12 months afterwards. And in 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town. And Nathan goes on to to tell this story about a rich man and a a poor man, where the rich man takes from the the poor man the, the, the only loved possession that the poor man had. And David, he saw the injustice of it, and he burned with anger, and he spoke this sentence over the rich man's head. Now think about this confrontation for a moment between Nathan 
and David. David, who was the the most powerful man in the nation, a giant killer who had led through two decades the full force of the, the military at his command with no defeats. He was unchallenged. He was unaccountable until Nathan the prophet, led by the hand of God, walked in. And I want to ask you the question, are there any Nathans in your life? Is there a person who is close enough to you, a person who you are open enough with, who loves you enough to tell you the truth, even if it hurts? Because if there isn't, if we're accountable to no one, then we're self-justifying in our lives and we're vulnerable to sin. Again, in Proverbs, Proverbs, there is wisdom for us. In Proverbs 27 verse 6, it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And although there isn't time here to talk about the importance of Nathan, of a friend who is prepared to wound you, and how we can be that friend to to someone else, how to speak truth in a godly way, the importance of that cannot be denied. David, he was living in guilt. It went deep into his soul and it took a brother a brother to release him from it. Because from what we read in the Bible, he didn't seem able or capable of releasing himself. And at that moment that David spoke his sentence over the rich man, Nathan turned it around, placing that same sentence on David's head. And he said to David, you are that man. And for David... And for David, you can almost sense the shock, the the anger that was there, the the self-justification that was there, suddenly replaced with an immense brokenness, the shame and the guilt rising up from deep within him. David hadn't known that anyone else knew, but God and Nathan, led by the hand of God, he knew. And even as Nathan finished that statement, as the king dropped to his knees, exposed and condemned by his own words, all he could say as he looked up at the prophet was, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan broke the silence that followed. And his final words to David were to tell him that because of his sin, the son that was going to be born to him would die. And then David entered seven days of personal torment. He wouldn't eat, would only sleep on the floor. He was mourning and grieving and pleading for God's mercy. But on the seventh day, the child died. And I am uncomfortable when I read that. I'm uncomfortable. But we must remember that this was a particular sin committed by David the king who had a particular calling from God on his life that was lived out in a particular time and place. And we need to be cautious about what we take from this and what we leave behind. After the news of the child's death reached David, it says in verse 20 that he got up from the ground. After he'd washed and put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. And that is where we're going to come out of the story And what I want to speak into as we go through to the finish is the word repentance, repentance. 
I want to talk about what it looks like for me personally. How do I, in living what I want to be, a a Jesus-filled life, how do I go through repentance? Because we all, we all fall short of God's glory. And in speaking into this, in talking about this, I can see four aspects, although the outworking of it may see them as one movement back towards God. And the first aspect of this, of repentance, is an open, unguarded admission. For me, this is where I put my hands up in front of God. And we say, it was me. I did it. I thought it. That was wrong. That was sinful. I know it. And there's a a couple of illustrations that I want to use the flip chart for here. So let's pull this out. And what I want to draw for you here are three circles, starting with this inner circle here. This is our mind. And then we go out to this one. And this is personal. And then one more out here. And this is public. And for me, these are like battle lines that are drawn in our lives. And it may be when we first come to faith, when we first get around this community of believers, our lives may be in such a place where sin is very public. We can see it. It's lived out here. And then as we continue on with, with, with God in our lives, as we make that commitment, as we look to, to live lives that bring glory to Jesus, what gets lived out in the public, that battle line may well have been dealt with. And actually then it gets more personal. It's how we are at home. It's how we are with people who are closest to us, who may well be the easiest to hurt. And that's another battle line. And then as we continue on and we, we, we get into God's word and it starts to shape and, and form our lives, there's still a battle line that we will all be fighting. And it's this one that's in our minds. And if you've been a Christian for, for a length of time, you will know that your battles are won and lost in your mind before they're even seen out in the personal domain or out in the public domain. So it may well be that we travel towards this through those different battle lines of public, personal and to our mind. And we want to be winning those battles. And if we start losing those battles, if we can't draw strength from God and live in a a life that's obedient to him, then what will happen? If sin starts to be conceived there, then it will go back out and it will start to be seen amongst those people who you're closest to. And it will be start to be seen amongst the community in the public domain. So there's that. And then the, the second illustration, even simpler, is just a, a timeline. And as believers, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And if, say, in our minds something is thought or even 
we follow through to, to some sort of action that is, that is sinful, then the Holy Spirit, if we're close to God, the Holy Spirit will immediately, will immediately put that check and we'll think, oh, that was wrong, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have thought that. And that can happen really, really quickly, within a split second. But as we, in our lives, move away from God, start to become desensitized to, to, to sensing him in our, in our lives, then this time here can increase between the moment that something is conceived in our minds and the moment that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit is close enough to us to say, that was wrong. And the longer we're in that, the more desensitized we get, the further and further away it becomes. And the longer and longer the time comes between conceiving of that thought and the spirit being able to challenge us on it to the point where we are so far away from God we can't sense him anymore in our lives so that's the the first aspect an open and unguarded admission secondly there's a complete desire to to break free from sin a desire to break free from sin. That is where we make a, a definite decision in our lives and, and we say that we refuse to do it again. We refuse to, to think that thought again. For me, this is about obedience, being obedient to Jesus and also understanding what grace cost. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will obey what I command. That is our expression of God as we're, as we're following Jesus. Our expression of love is to obey And to be able to obey, we need to know what Jesus is teaching us. And that's where the word of God, that's where the Bible comes in. Knowing it and living it out, obeying it. And then Jesus, he gave his life for us. He was killed on a cross so that we could receive grace. Every sin that we commit in our lives made that necessary. And I don't want to cheapen God's grace in such a way that I can sin without thinking about what it cost to forgive me. Thirdly, the third aspect of this is that the spirit is broken and humble. And that is where we realize our complete dependence on God, that we can't save ourselves. We can't do that. It's only because of Jesus, what he did for us in dying and rising again, that we can be back in relationship with our father in heaven. As I work on a, on a talk, I always give it something of a, an abstract title, something to make it memorable to me. And for this one, I called it going down, going down. It was a play on words, going down, because in a sense, David's life, David's life was going down. It was going down into darkness, down to the depths. And there seemed to be no way back for him, but to be broken in spirit, to be humble in spirit, to be going down on his knees in front of God, that was the way back. And it always is for us with sin and repentance. The way back is to go down on our knees in front of God and to receive his forgiveness and grace. And then the fourth aspect is claiming that forgiveness and walking in that grace. That is where we get back to where we belong where God has called us to follow in him, live in Jesus-filled lives. Jesus also said that I have come that, that, that you may have life and have it to the full. God doesn't want us to live a moment longer in our sins with darkness and death, 
hanging over us. He wants us to live free. And repentance is an incredible experience to go through, to be released from what may be a a dungeon that's locking us in, to be released from what may be a weight of emotions that is, is carrying us, bringing us down, affecting our souls deeply. In Ephesians 5 verse 13, it talks about exposing things to the light. And sin and the, and the devil, they live in darkness. That's where they reside. And they lure us into that darkness. And they keep us locked in that. But when the light of Jesus, when the light of the glory of God floods in, they have to flee from the scene. And we're set free to live clean, to live pure, to be secure, to be steadfast. And that was David's heart response to God as he wrote. And we read it at the start in Psalm 51 verse 10. He wrote this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And what I find so incredible about David is that even though he lived before Jesus and didn't get that fullness of the revelation of grace and forgiveness where Jesus died on the cross, even though he lived before that, David seemed to have such a a depth of understanding of who God was and how incredible God's grace is. David was forgiven. Even though the consequences remained and the effects of sin were devastating both for him personally and for the nation of Israel for generations to come, what David was able to do was to pour out his heart through writing the Psalms and out of this experience, this this soulless act with Bathsheba and all that followed, he was able to, to climb out of the valley of the shadow and write Psalm 51. And I want to read these words over us as a prayer today, our heart response to God. So if Gareth and the worship team want to come back, and if we want to close our eyes, and this is between us and God. It's not public, it's personal. It's in our minds And I'm going to read these words out of the message translation because the message seems to capture something of the the beauty and the urgency of these words as David wrote them. So let's close our eyes between us and God. And it's my prayer that these words would somehow affect all of us again. If we've been a Christian a long time, maybe there's a new word that God's doing of deepening us and releasing grace into our lives and maybe if we're only just hearing about this Christian message then again God will be able to speak grace to you generous in love God give grace huge in mercy wipe out my bad record scrub away my guilt soak out my sins in your laundry I know how bad I've been my sins are staring me down you're the one I've violated and you've seen it all you've seen the full extent of my evil 
You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. I've been out of step with you for a long time. In wrong sin before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me, then conceive a new true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow white life. Tune me into foot tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a, a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back. Bring me back from grey exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. Lord Jesus, I pray for each of us. Lord, that any pride that may be in us, Lord, would be shattered right now. And Lord, we'd come to you. We'd be in front of you humble and broken in spirit Lord and through that brokenness your grace mercy and forgiveness would flow through those cracks that are now opening up and Lord our hearts would be purified by that and Lord you'd raise us up steadfast in spirit And Lord, we know we can't save ourselves and it's only because of you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we move from this place and as we again fill our lungs and as we praise you, Lord God, may this song that we're about to sing, Lord, may it be a picture, Lord God, of who you are and what you've done for us. And Lord, if we're resistant in any way, Lord, I pray that you'd break through that with these words because it's who you are and it's what you've done and it's what sets us free. Lord God, so come by your spirit and lead us as we praise and worship you. Lord, and continue the work that you're doing, identifying different things in our lives. Lord, may we head out of here clean and pure. Lord Jesus, I pray that in your name. Amen.